I do not want to spill Seminole blood. Kill Seminole children, Seminole women. Give us back the American property you stole from our good fellowmen, planters, and settlers, and I let you move to the Indian territory the U.S. government has provided for your people. You call human beings your property? They're slaves. You steal land. You steal life. You steal humans. What kind of species are you? This guy. Welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Say everyone, welcome to Let's Talk Native. I'm John Kane. I'm your host. Hey, I'm going to do something I don't do much of. I probably should do a little bit more of it, but I'm going to uh, recommend a podcast. And these are friends of mine um, that do a podcast called Unfuck the Republic, otherwise known as UTR. And they've given us a couple of uh, shout outs, uh, what they call Pod Love. But even on this last one that they did, which was on mass incarceration, they, uh, they mentioned a a message I sent to them referring to the use of the word Indians. And um, and they, they basically included my word-for-word word comment uh, in at the very end of the podcast. So check it out. Look, they're about 40 minutes, maybe 49 minutes long, so they're a bit of a longer podcast, but they're really well done, and I encourage you to check it out. They usually involve – they don't leave Native people out of the conversation, even with this mass incarceration uh, piece they did so um by all means check it out these these guys do a great job now another thing that i want to recommend is a an hbo series uh that i didn't even know existed i just stumbled upon it by accident which is called exterminate all the brutes now i'm not sure why this wasn't promoted more and why i'd never heard of it but i stumbled across uh, across it the other night so i watched um all, well, now i've watched all four episodes if you have HBO Max, you can you know watch it on, at your own convenience. But uh, it's still it's it's currently playing um, on on HBO. But but check, but check it out. It's by Raul Peck, and it 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 has a lot of actual footage, a lot of um, uh, photos. It has some reenactment stuff. It has some creative license stuff involved. But it's really. Um, addresses everything from doctrine of Christian discovery to white supremacy. I think there's four episodes altogether. Um, I don't want to give too much of it away. I would rather um, interact with some folks who watched it and have a conversation about it. I think they include a lot of good stuff in it, um, but I'm I'm interested to, in having a conversation about about this. But by all means, check it out. Again, it's called Exterminate All the Brutes, and it it does a really good. Uh, you know, it covers a lot of American history and the uh, the ugly parts of it as well. So, um, I do, um, I, I encourage you to take a look at it, and I do look forward to having some com uh, conversations about this one. So, uh, check it out. Um, all right. So, what I want to talk about today, and part of it is because of even watching this uh, this HBO series, I got to ask the question: Why aren't we more pissed? I mean, why aren't we? more of an angry population as far as native people go. I mean, when, when I think about what has been done historically and, and when you watch 
a documentary or even you know this this mini series here on HBO, you can't watch it and not be get emotionally invested in some of the information that's there. I mean, I don't know how we aren't angrier. I mean, they murdered our children and our women. They, I mean, we, we were enslaved. We had all this stuff. They took our children away from us, put them into residential schools. For over 100 years, this was being done. And I know I've talked about this stuff before, but I, I, you know, I get to this place where I think, how are we not angrier? And how are we not demonstrating some of the anger? And I don't mean just vengeance here. I'm not saying how come we're not getting even, but why are we so complacent? I, I, I just don't get it. And I know not everybody is. There's, there's plenty of radical people in, in many of our territories. And I don't even know that I'm on the radical end of the spectrum, really. I, I think I take a strong position on some of this stuff. But I don't know if our people just don't understand the real history. And, you know, I've talked about this before. We need to know it. We need to know what took place. Not to be mired in all the atrocities. But, but to better understand where we are, why we are in the situation that we're, we're, we're in, and what to do about it. Because as I look at some of where, you know, where we are and what we've experienced for the last several centuries, I come back to wondering why anybody thinks that enlisting in their armed forces is in our best interest or serving, you know, running for their offices is in our best interest. I, I mean, I... I know I challenge that oftentimes on the show. And even as I hear others evaluate this notion that, you know, yes, native people have, have run for office and that they've had successful campaigns. And, um, and now Deb Halland is at the, you know, at the interior department and the head of the interior department. I don't know why more people don't view that as, as assimilation rather than just progress. I mean, and unless you're viewing assimilation as progress, which is a very American idea, I, I think we need to sometimes step back and understand what our future may look like. And if, and if we only view our future as being Americanized, as being domesticated and civilized in the American sense of the word, then, you know, I, I guess I just wonder why throw words around like sovereignty, you know, why throw words around like self-governance? I mean, unless we're only referring to self-governance and like in the corporate governance sense of the word, how we organize ourselves, not how we really govern. Because as I, as I, you know, look, and I'm a student of this history and I've, I've, I've read plenty of, plenty of the, the books and, and I, you know, studied a, a, a lot of the the writings that have been done and I try to delve into history and I try to present some of that to you you folks here but I don't know how you experience any of this stuff and how you relive any of that history and not not be angry I mean I, I still think back to reading the accounts of the Sand Creek massacre where where a bunch of these these white guys are just shooting at a child walking a bit a bit on the horizon among the dead bodies a naked little toddler walking crying and walking along along the dead bodies and these guys just taking a shot at him not because you know they need to just to see if they well see see who's a good enough shot to hit him and and of course they miss and they miss and they miss and finally somebody hits him and somebody is writing this account down 
And if you read that, how are you? How do you not become emo- emotionally invested in addressing those kinds of atrocities? Look, you know, when we hear things, stories about scalpings of, of our women and our children and our men and, and being turned in for bounties, when, when you read that stuff, maybe we can distance ourselves from it a little bit. But Sand Creek, that happened during the Abraham Lincoln administration. And even as people, even as the the really horrendous accounts of that come out, and people condemn, the, you know, Colonel Shivington for for his actions in the, in this in this slaughter. Nothing ever happened to him. He didn't pay any any price. I mean, other than he did not advance in his military career. Big freaking deal. I mean, it's, I just don't understand how when we watch this stuff, and and we don't even have to go back. To Lincoln, we can see what happens not only as we as we see more and more Native people and Black people die by cop. How do we not look at the numbers? How do we not look at the poverty? I mean, I, I had the uh, you know those two fantastic women from uh, from Pine Ridge on who were talking about the youth suicide problem in Pine Ridge, and it's not just in Pine Ridge, folks. It may be worse there. But it's, it's bad in many places. The, the level of mental health problems that Native people have that really do have a direct correlation to intergenerational trauma is real. And it's with us today. These aren't, aren't problems that, you know, that are disconnected from what generations of our people have experienced. And part of the problem is, and I've talked about this before, we are not really looking to solve the problems. We aren't really looking to address the, the abject poverty that exists in many of our territories. And we aren't addressing what we need to do to create hope for the future. And, and I, know, I know some people cringe at the word hope. But how do we create opportunities for our people? I mean, I, I heard somebody say, in in my mascot debate, oh yeah, that that family who uh, who went to live in Cambridge, um, their grandfather uh, worked hard to to get his kids off the reservation so they could see opportunities. Well, for one thing, that's not true, but it is true that there's so very few opportunities on our territories that we do see. Oftentimes, the best path for success comes from leaving leaving our native territories, disconnecting ourselves from our culture and, and our families and, and, and that legacy, that the ancestry. I understand much of that legacy is terrible, but it's still ours. And it still connects us to, you know, to our ancestors. And I don't think we should wash, whitewash that, that legacy. I think we have to own the horror of it, but we also have to own what each generation has been able to hand down in spite of the obstacles. And that should really, I mean, look, we should be not only proud of the fact that we have survived and proud of the fact that we are still here to advance ourselves, but we should be, we, we should, you know, have pride in the fact that we have been able to overcome adversity that, that most people never would have survived. Be, to, and to be clear, it was never the plan for us to survive. 
I mean, uh, in, it, it was it's covered a little bit in this documentary I was talking about. The plan was that we would just die out, that we were an inferior race, and an inferior race is just destined to you know to go extinct. Once white men accepted the idea that, in spite of their religious beliefs, that there was this power of extinction, it was only an inferior creature, you know, that would that would go extinct. That. The superior would advance and the inferior would, would decline into, into extinction. That was their belief. And I would argue, considering what we have gone through, you could make a more compelling argument that, we were, that, 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 our, that our ability to survive these kinds of adversities shows not just the resilience, but perhaps that's an argument for superiority. Because I guarantee, as you're looking at Everything that is that has come along with white supremacy, it's always been associated with their ability to to kill. I mean, the ability to kill in massive ways, in the mass, you know, weapons of mass destruction, and weapons that you could kill from a distance. And and the more you could kill, and from the greater distance. I mean, look at the, the whole drone striking thing, the drone issues. The, the dropping of two uh, atomic bombs on Japan. I mean, what an incredible feat the United States accomplished in, in being able to, to murder that many people and, and not even get your hands dirty. But see, that's, that is what has advanced white supremacy more than anything else. So where does that where does that leave us when we have been able to to survive all of this stuff? And and I will fight anybody on this. If you believe that our only path for, uh, you know, to survival has come when we when we've given up, that's it's simply not true. And even if there was a certain amount of, you know, teach your children quietly because someday sons and daughters will rise up and fight where we stood still. I know I'm quoting an 80s song, but <laughs> but, but even if even if that's true, that's that's a strategy for resistance. It is not giving up. So as I address things like voting in their elections and serving in their military and becoming a part of their government, I mean, it, it, look, when I ask, why aren't we more pissed? Why aren't we more angry? That's one of the things that makes me angry. And, and look, I really do hope that Deb Haaland and, and other people who get into these positions of power or authority or whatever in the U.S. government, I hope that they do affect some change that is positive. But the problem is, at their core, they're advancing the United States. And and that's that's what their their job is is the the interest of the United States the, the you know the national interest. We aren't the priority. So when those people leave our communities and our people, and maybe they've left left us a long time ago. So it's not like the day that somebody runs for election. Oh yeah, we lost them. That's not necessarily true. There's a there's a <laughs> there's a trajectory that any individual who pursues national office or state office is already on. And at the very beginning of that trajectory is the idea that they don't see any opportunity on their own territory and they're not going to provide some. Or they think that the only way to, to help their people is to join the enemy, is to join the opposition. 
and fix it from that. So, I mean, the bottom line is whether you're pursuing a military career or a political career in that system, you are leaving something behind your own people. And even if you have the greatest intentions of doing it, you have to overcome what that military has done to our people for hundreds of years. You have to overcome what that government, I mean, look, somebody put, you know, put it, you know, real plainly, they, and I don't remember the guy's name, but they cited a quote from an interior secretary from a hundred years ago who basically talked about, you know, our people needing, needing to be exterminated. If we couldn't be civilized, we need to be exterminated. And, and now that's the job that Deb Hallen has. Well, that's the job. And that may have been a quote from an individual hundred years ago, but that was the job. That wasn't just a man. Now, I'm not saying that she's going to adopt that same, uh, you know, strategy or philosophy that's associated with the job, but it is still that job. So, and you have to overcome that. So do you say, okay, now I'm going to change everything? Really? Do you have the power to change everything? I'm, I'm not sure. But I guess, so when I ask the question, why aren't we more pissed? I, I guess I'm asking more than just, why aren't we angrier? I'm asking, why aren't we doing more? And, you know, and I've, and I've talked about what we can do. I've talked about, you know, you know, uh, you know, trying to, you know, solve our identity crises and, and that those kinds of things. And, and, and look, are we accomplishing things? Sure we are. I mean, there's a good chance the Dakota Access Pipeline might be shut down. And it's not being shut down just because of federal environmental reviews. We had to push, push that issue. We have affected change. And you know how we affected it? With resistance. We didn't, I mean, I know they're going to say, well, a court ruled this way or, you know, or, or, or you know, this president did this or, or this agency did that. But none of that stuff would happen if we weren't having our blood spilt fighting these things. The mascot issue. And, and look, I do take a certain amount of pride in the fact that this is a fight that we're winning. <laughs> we're pissing off a lot of white people in the process. Don't get me wrong. And there's a cost to that. I mean, there are places that, you know, once we remove, get one of those mascots removed from this town or that town, maybe people aren't welcome in those towns anymore. Eh, we probably weren't that welcome there in the first place. But, <laughs> but there's, a, there's a cost that comes with the animosity that some of these fragile white people feel when they're forced to change something that they've, they've, they've uh, become accustomed to. And what white people have become accustomed to is their privilege. It is their right to do whatever they feel they have the right, uh, whatever they feel compelled to do, whether that's, you know, wear blackface or redface or whether, you know, it, it's to make, you know, uh, ethnic jokes or, you know, whether it's to, you know, to mock people. I mean, the, when somebody feels like that's being taken, I mean, even Donald Trump, you know, trying to, to mock a, a disabled reporter. There are white people who are offended that people called out Donald Trump for that. Because why shouldn't he have the right to mock you know, somebody who's handicapped? That's the logic that exists here. So we need, we need to push back on a lot. And, and look, you know, when I talk about activism, I don't mean just fighting against something. I mean fighting for something. So if you 
see a documentary or hear a podcast, mine or anybody else's, that just gets you angry. Not because angry at me, but angry because of the subject matter that I'm covering. Then we got to decide what we do with that anger. Anger is not a, a terrible emotion to have. It can be a motivating uh, factor. So, I mean, you hear it all the time in sports, right? Oh, use that anger and, you know, make it make your you play better or I don't know, play I don't know. But anger anger can be a motivating factor. So, how do we harness that emotion? First off, we have to make sure that we get the emotion. I mean, so whether it's outright anger or if it's some other emotion that we can we can harness for change. We need to. We need to we look, the one thing I will say and, and the fact that I've actually started this program by encourage, encouraging folks to listen to another podcast and, and to see a documentary, we need to do more of this stuff. And, you know, it's, you know, Jake and I are committed to doing that. And, and, you know, things have been a little bit difficult because of the pandemic, and we hope to get more involved. But we need more Native people doing some of this stuff. See, because even as I watch you know, or hear another podcast or watch another documentary, I'm always going to find something there that, man, I wish they had covered this a little bit better. I wish they had done this or why not? And, and I'm not suggesting that I need to be hired as a consultant by these, by, by non-native people making these, uh, these films or, or podcasts, but I'm the takeaway should be any. And if you're watching this, this video or, or listening to this podcast and you're saying, why didn't John Cain say that? Then you say it. I mean, I don't care if you want to contact me and say it on my show, but we need to be more involved in our own advocacy. Not just activism, but advocacy. How do we talk for? How do we support our people? And we can't just get by day to day. I mean, one of the tragedies in listening to the to the women from Pine Ridge who were part of that documentary, the the, the Bears on Pine Ridge, was just listening to to somebody like Eileen uh, um, uh, Janice going on about. The people that are not being able to, they're not planning for next year. They're not, they're not even planning for the next season. They're trying to get by day to day. I mean, when we talk about hand to mouth or living paycheck to paycheck, in many native territories, we don't even have that luxury. There are people who, who freeze to death every freaking winter in places like Pine Ridge and, and other native territories. Even territories that are having fossil fuels extracted from their territories and and money is going into quote-unquote tribal coffers even in those places we have people who freeze to death we have places where <laughs> where the reefs water resources have been hijacked by uh, by mining industries and we're left with people with, with many people who don't have who don't have safe drinking water we have to do more and we have to insist on 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 getting more i don't mean more handouts but but we have to fight back not because we're, we're fighting against something but we're fighting for something you know what we're fighting for we're fighting for our, for our kids for our grandkids for our future generations it wasn't the plan that we would still be here i mean we hear hitler's reference to the final solution well, Thomas Jefferson had his expression was the final consolidation. And by final consolidation, it, it meant native people not existing anymore. 
either because we got absorbed, but in all likelihood, just because we were killed. We were pushed off to, to places that could not support life anymore. Remote territories. The removal period of American history started with Thomas Jefferson, not, not Andrew Jackson. This idea that, that Native people could be removed from our territories, it, it begins with the founding fathers of the United States. Not, not, not just some angry warlord you know, that would ultimately become president one day. The founding fathers, this was part of the plan. They were slaveholders. They were murderers. They were rapists. Yes, Thomas Jefferson was a rapist. And I, I look, I, white people may take offense to this stuff, but that's just, a, I mean, George Washington called for, for Seneca's in particular to know the terror of their chastisement. They need to be terrorized by the U.S. military. Why? This wasn't just about punishment. This wasn't even about vengeance. What Washington was talking about was we need to inflict a level of terror on Native people so they will never rise up again. So their children's children won't even try it. I'm, I'm the intergenerational trauma was a strategy. It, it, it is not collateral damage. It was a strategy. But the fact is that, that we are still here. And we have tools. I mean, the biggest tool being our minds. We, we have not just the right, but we have the opportunity to, to be more successful. And when I say be more successful, I mean, we get to define what that success is. But we have to pursue, we have to pursue it. And if we have to be angry to do it, then so be it. Because there's plenty for us to be pissed over. At this stage of, of our evolution, or should I, <laughs> what I should say, at this stage of having our evolution interrupted for several centuries, and yet, in spite of the massive amount of loss of life, a population that was wiped out to the tune of 95% by colonization, we're still here. And we still do have some control over some of our lands and resources. But we have to stop believing that our lands are theirs and that our resources are there. I remember listening to Brian Clattisby, president of the National Congress of the American Indians, talking about... Native fossil fuel resources represent, I, I don't know, I think he said 10% of the U.S. Uh, needs, uh, fuel needs or something like that. It's like, wait a minute. Our resources don't represent their, any percentage of theirs. It might be equal to, to 7% or 10% or 20% of their, uh, of their resources, but they're ours. And words matter. Language matters. How we characterize who we are even simple words like, you know, Indians, some pushback or, you know, look, I, I, I don't use Native American. I use Native people. I, I use words that, that I don't feel like have any political connotation to it because the other ones do. I will never call a Native person on the other side of that imaginary line a Canadian. And I reject anybody calling me an American. 
even though America is not the United States, that those aren't our words. I I want to I want us to do the definition. But I don't I don't just want to define who we are. I want to define who we will be. So maybe we do need to get a little bit more pissed. And we need to take that emotion, take that anger or whatever the emotion is and use it and use it to motivate a strategy moving forward. That's my show for today. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.